Welcome to the Pitchside from the Plex podcast, discussing all things youth and amateur sports. We are broadcasting from the Adventist Healthcare Fieldhouse at the Maryland Soccerplex with your hosts, Matt Libber and the one and only Kim Walter. Welcome to Pitchside from the Plex. Kim, you excited about our guest today? I am. Uh, Councilman Avernos has been a big supporter of the Soccerplex uh, most recently in helping us sort of navigate the pandemic. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to be able to speak with him today and hear what he has to say um, and talk about the broader uh, landscape uh, in Montgomery County in terms of youth sports. Yeah, I'm excited to hear from him. So for those of you listeners that don't know who he is, Councilman Albernaz is currently the at-large member for Montgomery County Council. Prior to joining the council in 2018, he served as the director for the Department of Recreation for the county. Under his leadership, department expanded programming to vulnerable populations, and with his dedicated staff and volunteers, they received dozens of awards for programming excellence from organizations such as the National Association of Counties. Just this past year, the Recreation Department received eight national awards. That's more than any other department in the country. Uh, He is a graduate of the University of Maryland, as well as received an MBA from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, He is on too many boards and commissions to even name, but I want to point out that he used to be the former commissioner of the Maryland State Park System, where he developed a system-wide multicultural training initiative for park rangers and staff, which they've now implemented in this county as well. So we're excited to talk to him. We want to hear what he has to say about some of the initiatives that are coming up for the county and how we can be a model for the rest of the country. What if it was possible to get fresh local produce and groceries delivered right to your front door? all that extra time not worrying about shopping, learn a new language, knit a blanket, or even learn to fly. Instacart provides you unlimited grocery delivery for one low, flat, monthly fee. There's no separate fee for each time you use the app like their competitors. You choose from multiple local stores, including many that you probably already use. Products are hand-selected by their shoppers to find you fresh ingredients, also protecting your eggs and keeping your bread from getting smashed in the bottom of the bag. You can find everything you normally buy plus smart suggestions for new items. Instacart will highlight deals to help save you money with delivery to your door in as fast as one hour. You can start your 14-day free trial by following the link in our show notes. Following the link lets Instacart know we sent you and helps us support our show. Instacart, never step foot in a grocery store again. Councilman Abernaz, welcome to the Pitside from the Plex podcast. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks, Matt. Honored to be on, my friend. So, obviously, we know you because you're a councilman from our county, but some of our listeners obviously aren't from here. So, if you want to kind of give us a, a background of who you are, you know, how you got to where you're at now, and, and why this, this project is so important to you. Sure. Uh, well, I'll give you the two-cent tour. So, born and raised here in Montgomery County. Uh, my folks emigrated here from South America. And growing up, I uh, lived in Gaithersburg, Silver Spring, and Bethesda. And now I live in Kensington with my wife and our four kids. And I'm a sports nut. Uh, My dad put a poster of Pele in my crib uh, and literally tied a balloon at the end of the crib to see if I would learn how to kick it. Uh, (laughs) And and I'll say it took hold because, you know, I've I've just been a sports fan ever, ever since. And growing up in Montgomery County was just such a special place. Uh, I went to Walt Whippin High School. Um, played, you know, MSI and then club soccer, uh, played basketball, Whitman, played soccer, Whitman. We actually won a state championship while I was there. 
And so sports played a huge role in my development and on every conceivable level. Um, most of my best friends, uh, all of my groomsmen in my wedding were teammates from former sports teams, uh, guys I still keep in touch with. Um, so it's, it was a special place to grow up. And I've seen the evolution of the county. Uh, when I was born, the county had uh, a little over 600,000 county residents, and we've obviously doubled in size since then. So I've seen the evolution of the county on so many different levels. I remember Germantown where the soccer plex is now when it was mostly cows and fields and farms. Um, and so I've seen that evolution as well. And well, I went to the University of Maryland undergrad, um, actually started out at Frostburg State University, played soccer there as a goalie, uh, and then transferred to Maryland my sophomore year, did not play soccer at Maryland. Uh, and then I ended up getting my MBA through Johns Hopkins and it was actually ex an experience while I was doing a study abroad program in Mexico City um, that led me on a path to public office. Um, and I, I didn't fully appreciate the bubble I lived in growing up. Uh, and so when I got to Mexico City, I worked for an organization that worked with the homeless and runaway kids. And I'd never seen poverty like that before up front, uh, had never felt it before. And there was one incident in particular in which um, my job was to help shadow a social worker and find the mom of a 16-year-old girl who was dying of AIDS and who had a baby girl who was HIV positive. And so they were trying to find uh, this young woman's mom to help take care of the granddaughter. Um, and it took us a couple of weeks. We finally located them. Um, and I will never forget the look of um, happiness followed by sadness. Uh, and then we had to explain what AIDS was uh, and, and what it did. Um, and so from that experience coming back, it set me on a course to work in the nonprofit sector for a number of years. Uh, and then when Ike Leggett was running for county executive, uh, he won, he was looking for somebody to head up the recreation department that had experience with youth development uh, because there was rising uh, gang violence and challenges uh, with our youth around that time. And so I was brought on to expand our after school programs expand programs to senior citizens. Uh, and unfortunately, that time corresponded to the economic crisis we had in the county. And it was during that time that I sort of appreciated that government cannot and never will uh, be able to do all of it on its own. Uh, we will not be able to tackle all these challenges. So I learned uh, the value and the importance of par partnerships, of public-private partnerships in particular. And I was proud of my tenure there. We were able to uh, launched an initiative called Excel Beyond the Bell uh, to expand after school programs, including sports. And we were also able to significantly expand programs to our senior citizens. And we built 11 facilities uh, on Ike's Watch, either through renovation or new recreation centers or senior centers. Um, so it was a great, great time. Uh, and I caught the political bug while I was there because I was the head of the county's Democratic Party. Uh, and so uh, when I started connecting all my previous experiences, I realized that elected office probably puts you in among the better positions to really impact change. And so uh, I decided to go for it uh, this last election cycle, 32 candidates in the primary. It was crazy. It was chaotic. Uh, but I learned so much through that process. And I have uh, really enjoyed serving on the council. I love my job uh, some days more than others, Matt. <laughs> uh, but I love my job. I feel you on that one. And, uh, and it's been, uh, you know, an especially trying time, which we'll get to. Um, but, and, 
one of the things I'm proudest of is this initiative that we has re we recently stood up uh, to expand youth sports participation in, in Montgomery County. Uh, we know that there are sports deserts, that there are entire zip codes that have significantly fewer kids participating in organized sports than in other zip codes. And those often correspond to you know, people's economic situations. And I know, as I said, the importance that sports played in my life. And so uh, working with Craig Rice and all of my colleagues on the council, we were able to stand up funding uh, to establish an initiative that helps level the playing field, literally, um, to, to identify those areas, target them, and then provide additional support. Where parents can't volunteer and coach, we provide coaches. Where transportation is a barrier, we provide transportation. If there is a league that isn't willing to help extend to uh, establish one or two teams in that area, we're going to establish a new league. Uh, we, we have to tackle this from all angles and also stand up recreational opportunities, not just club and select opportunities, but to make sure the kids are participating in programs like that. So that's sort of the, the two cent tour of um, how we got to this particular initiative, but it's been a, a, an exciting journey to say the least. And I know you were part of the Soccer for Change program. Was that when you were still at REC or was that when you were on the council? It was, it was while I was still at REC. So we saw that, you know, there were a lot of kids, some of them really, really good soccer players um, who just, you know, by virtue of not knowing where to try out or not having the resources to be able to play, um, the rec department partnered with a number of nonprofit organizations, um, including the Soccerplex. And we also partnered with uh, the city of Gaithersburg to stand up teams. Um, and the, what I'm especially proud of, we were able to stand up a lot of girls teams too, um, because we know the incredible role that sports plays in the development of our young women. Um, and uh, I'm seeing that with my own girls. Uh, and so it, it really has a, a tremendous amount of value, uh, helps build confidence, helps build leadership skills, um, and helps uh, divert risky behavior. Yeah, we actually saw that. We were originally last year going to partner with the Spirit for a program that we were trying to get funding from the federal side of Health and Human Services, specifically for girls' soccer in the Latino community. Because what we see, we see this every day, every year, that once they hit like 13, especially in that community, that women are discouraged from keep playing sports and it's more to the household. And obviously you, you come from that community. You know, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, within our Latino and immigrant community, what you often see is several things. One, um, mom and dad are working an insane amount of hours, um, oftentimes more than two jobs. Uh, and so they just don't have the time to be able to volunteer and coach. They don't have the time uh, to be able to provide the level of support that a lot of other families are able to provide. Um, so I think that's sort of a barrier issue. And one reason why a lot of um, our members of our community, you know, just don't access sports in the first place. But then second, I do think there's a cultural issue here um, in which, you know, we have, um, leagues that are stood up and where you do see situations in which girls are playing, they may not progress all the way through um, because there may not just be the mentality to progress all the way through. Um, and as more and more opportunities become available at the middle and high school level, there are more options for girls to take advantage of. 
And so I think that's something that we as a community, um, and it, once we've created these opportunities, make sure people take advantage of them. Um, and it, it really is um, a great connector because sports brings a lot of families together, um, especially during the games. When they can recreate on the weekends, you know, they really are able to let their hair down. They really spend quality time with their families and their kids. Um, it's such a positive element in families' lives. And so we want to create more of those opportunities. The Pitch Side from the Plex podcast is supported by the Soccer Association of Montgomery. Sam Soccer provides developmental and educational soccer programs in Montgomery County, Maryland. Sam offers classes, clinics, and leagues for children 2 to 18. Every game is a home game at Sam Soccer. All programs are played at the prestigious Maryland Soccerplex. Check out our website, samsoccer.org, for more information. I know one of the big pushes in the county is more diversity, inclusion, things like that. And I know when you were a commissioner for the state park system, you kind of developed a program for the park rangers to include that, to kind of talk about that, because that's a subject we're going to tackle later on down, down in this show, but I think you have an expertise in this coming from that background. Yeah, so it was interesting. I um, was part of the Maryland Parks and Recreation Association, and I you know, was, was new to the recreation department, uh, and um, the then director of the Maryland State Parks approached me at one of the conferences in Ocean City and said, we have this challenge uh, can you help us? And that challenge was, the great news was, um, the Maryland State Park Service was receiving a significant amount of immigrant um, participants uh, that were coming and accessing these parks. But the constructs that they had set up were for families to come for two or three hours, have a picnic, uh, and then leave. Um, but our immigrant communities will come first thing in the morning and stay all day long <laughs> and, and, and just have a great time. Um, and it's not just like, you know, 5.5 members of the family. It's like the entire family. <laughs> it's cousins, it's aunts, it's uncles, it's the abuelitos. Um, and, and they, you know, it, it, it's such a important social and emotional component to these families' lives because when you go into these state parks, it reminds them of the communities that and the countries that they left behind. Uh, it's just this great equalizer. But the policies and procedures that the Maryland State Park Service had set up did not take into account those cultural differences that were so important. And to the credit of the Maryland State Park Service, um, they didn't just want to be punitive. They didn't just want to enforce these regulations. They wanted to analyze the regulations, number one, to see what adjustments needed to be made. They also wanted to um, establish a training for their park rangers so that they can take into account these cultural sensitivities. There were other situations in which Asian families, for example, um, would bring in these walks uh, that were electric and they would plug them into the restrooms because um, that was the only place that had an electrical outlet. But obviously that brought up sanitary issues. Um, and so they wanted to be sensitive to addressing the needs of those communities um, without being punitive. And so we devised a training uh, that uh, is still in place today. And I had the opportunity to visit a number of park rangers across the entire state to 
provide this training, to provide the background. And we also took the time to explain the experience and the journey that many of our immigrant families had in coming to the United States, why there's a mistrust of government generally, um, why there are frankly emotional scars uh, from the journey that, that people had to, to take to get here, why the gang issue um, was as significant as it is and, and to explain some of the background on all of that. And so I think armed with that background and context and the training that the park rangers received um, our Maryland State Park System has one of the best programs in the country uh, in terms of positively interacting and engaging with our community. And many of those challenges that um, we're, we're starting to build up, uh, we're able to be headed off at the pass because of that training. Have we been able to institute that in Montgomery County now, that same type of training? We, we have. So yeah, through the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission, uh, we have instituted training. And I do also need to give credit uh, to my good friend, Natalie Fanny Gonzalez, uh, who's on the planning board uh, and has made sure not just in policy, um, but you know, from a programmatic standpoint um, that we're training our park and planning staff um, so that they can be culturally sensitive to some of the issues that have emerged. And I've seen ample evidence over the years that they've really taken that training to heart. Uh, they understand the value of our diversity and really embrace it. Yeah, speaking of some of the challenges we've had with Latino communities and, you know, tr not trusting the government, things like that, you know, when COVID hit, that there's a huge impact on that community within the sports realm and not just the county itself. And, and I appreciate everything that you've done working with me to try and get sports back playing. Um, but we're still struggling with that. I mean, we saw a huge drop off in, in our Latino community playing at the soccer plex. Um, how do we address that? I mean, what, what can we do there to, to better that outreach? Well, I think sort of for context, um, there's three things going on. So number one, um, COVID has undeniably disproportionately impacted our, our immigrant and African-American communities more than any other community. So um, just from a sheer volume and percentage, um, you know, the majority of the cases are in four zip codes in Montgomery County. And um, there was at one point in August, uh, we had received a briefing from Dr. Gales and during a one month period, set over 70% of the positive test cases were in the immigrant community. So many of those disparities in healthcare that existed prior to the pandemic are now on steroids. Um, and it's been, um, that is one of the principal reasons why, you know, we've seen a lot of folks um, not access because literally they and their families have been sick um, or are severely at risk of being sick. Um, and so they've, they've kind of um, step back from organized activities like sports and other things. Second is economic. Um, we've had 183,000 county residents file for unemployment, and um, the vast majority of those folks are Latino and immigrants. Uh, and that, of course, Matt, represents the people that can file for unemployment insurance at the federal level. There are many more thousands of people that have lost their jobs in the restaurant and hospitality and retail industry that for a variety of complex reasons related to their immigration status, can't file for unemployment. Um, and so there's just an economic issue there. Um, and then I think finally, people are scared. Uh, people are concerned and people are trying to adhere to the guidelines. Uh, and the county has been trying to provide the correct information to communities, um, but oftentimes they hear information that is not correct. 
Um, and so sometimes that plays itself out in a variety of ways. So I think that's sort of the background for why I think you're starting to see, or you've seen fewer numbers of participants. Now, how do we overcome that? Um, one is economic. Uh, the county is trying to stand up and provide uh, financial assistance uh, to a variety of families in a variety of ways um, to address those basic and immediate needs around food security. And I give the soccer plucks a lot of credit. You've been a strong partner there. I know you've hosted testing sites and you've been a partner in some of the hubs um, to you know, deliver food uh, and have leveraged your partnerships. No surprise, the SoccerPlex has a long history of doing that, which is amazing. Um, and then I think the other thing we need to do is just address the pandemic uh, through additional testing um, by providing um, strong medical support to families uh, to make sure that they have access to health insurance if they can't access it through federal programs. Um, so I think a combination of all those things um, will help. Uh, and then when a vaccine is available, uh, and you know who knows when that will be, but I think there's some optimism that it will be sometime next year, these at-risk categories uh, you know, of folks that have been impacted, these frontline service workers, they need to be first in line. Uh, we need to learn all the things that we didn't do right with testing uh, we need to make sure we get right through vaccines. Do you think we're going to have an issue of trying to push the vaccines in those communities? Is there going to be reluctance for that as well? I think there is going to be some reluctance. Uh, and so we're going to have to work closely with our faith-based organizations. And there was some reluctance initially to access testing um, because people were, A, worried that if they received a positive test that they were going to lose their jobs. Um, they also you know, sort of, um, there's a lot of layers to this, but uh, last year, uh, the Supreme Court stood up a executive order carried out by this administration um, that expanded the level of definition of what's considered a public charge. Um, and so uh, basically what that means is um, accessing some federal programs now could literally hurt you in your ability to continue to go through the immigration process and go from temporary status uh, to permanent status, from permanent status to citizenship. Um, it will count against you uh, if you access certain federal services. Or, um, and so that has meant people a bit were reluctant uh, to get tests um, because they were worried that was gonna impact their public charge. Um, so we've had to overcome that. Uh, and, and I think we've done better uh, and, and the evidence of that is the number of folks getting tested has increased dramatically, particularly in the Latino community. And I'm hoping that, that the effort we've placed in making sure people understand the importance of tests will translate to the importance of vaccines. Yeah, that was one of the reasons that we partnered up with the health department here to do testing here, because the, from at least I think the Latino community trusts us. You know, we, yes. we provide for them a lot of different services, not just soccer, but, you know. Um, so when we did testing, we said, hey, this is through us, uh, even though it was still through the health department. And I think we saw results. I mean, the first time we did it, we had 48 hours notice that we were approved to do this. And we still got almost 100 people here. So I, I count that as a win. So, you know, we're, we're doing another testing site coming up. So hopefully we, we can expand those numbers. But I, I, I thought it was success. The health department thought it was a success. So, you know, trying to move forward with that. Absolutely. So turning around and kind of why we wanted to get you on here and, and talk about the initiative that you got passed through the council. And, and you know, let's start with the history, because I know we were part of the legislative uh, services review 
um, and, and talk, trying to find what the issues are. Uh, what what made you do that? Was it just from your recreation background that said, hey, we need to figure this out? Or, you know, was it constituents coming to you? What, what made you say, hey, let's try and do this now? So I think it was a few things. One, uh, yes, just for, you know, in 12 years of working with the rec department, um, you know, seeing firsthand and in the first person sort of those those sports deserts I mentioned earlier, our recreation centers sort of serve as hubs, as conveners of families and communities in different neighborhoods across the county. And the county's done a pretty good job of standing up these recreation centers across the entire county. And our center directors would be the first to tell you that there were a ton of kids that were just showing up to the facility for drop-in basketball, um, drop-in futsal programs, and, and kids that you know, could play. Um, um, but that we're not in a league, uh, not on anyone's radar screen. Um, and, you know, it was the, the, the recreation department would try to stand up its own programs, but frankly, the rec department still hasn't fully recovered from the 38% cut that was made to it during the recession almost 10 years ago. Um, and we've slowly started to build back programs and services since then, but we're still not at where we were prior to the recession in terms of the budget within each individual recreation center as an example. And so with that anecdotal information, plus just knowing the value that sports again played in my life and the importance of it, and just feeling frustrated that the situation was being exasperated. And you know, I have young kids and they're now going through the youth sports programs now. And um, you know, we're seeing that missing middle. Uh, there, there just are not enough general recreation programs um, there. And, and that is, I think, a challenge. And then it's disproportionately impacting a number of zip codes in the county. So um, to quantify this, to confirm that what we are seeing anecdotally was true, uh, we asked the Office of Legislative Oversight, which is like the think tank of the Montgomery County Council, to conduct an analysis. Uh, and Chris Silar, who is the head of the Office of Legislative Oversight, um, has two daughters who are in very competitive sports, uh, both in line um, to play soccer in college. And so this was an issue that was also of personal interest to him. And so they, for about six months, uh, did a great job of reaching out to folks like you guys at the Soccerplex, the rec department. They also reached out to the clubs. Um, they reached out in a variety of different sports, uh, both the diamonds and the rectangles. Um, and you know, to, to try and make sure that they got as much information as possible. They also work through the community use for public facilities that has a lot of really important data on the booking of fields and gyms. Um, and they, they put that all together and confirmed that there are entire zip codes of a significantly fewer percentage of kids participating in sports. They found that the four primary reasons um, for youth not accessing sports are number one, just literally being able to afford um, the entrance fees uh, to be able to play um, or the equipment associated with that particular sport. So number one was cost. Number two was transportation, um, just not physically being able to get to practices, let alone games um, and just parents, you know, relying on our public transportation system and that public transportation system not being nimble or flexible enough to get kids to where they need to be. The third primary reason was there just aren't as many volunteer coaches uh, in some of these communities because, again, mom and dad are working 
just tireless hours uh, and don't have the opportunity to commit leisure time, recreational time to be able to volunteer and coach. Um, and then the fourth reason was there just aren't enough opportunities. Uh, you know, we've got amazing club teams, we've got amazing leagues, um, but I assume for economic reasons have not been able to establish a presence uh, in, in a variety of these communities. So when you took all those things together, we thought, okay, what can we do about this? Um, and so we, the county has been fortunate to receive over $183 million in federal funding to address the pandemic. And in my mind and in the mind of my colleagues, the social and emotional challenges facing our youth are directly related to the pandemic. And so because kids are not able to go to class and have to learn virtually, it's exasperating those disparities in public health and the social and emotional well-being of kids. And because we can play sports outside, because, and, and I know it's been a slog, Matt, but <laughs> we have made progress uh, in, in opening up sports, you know, it is one of those areas that have been clearly demonstrated across the country now that is not a super spreader uh, in, in the way other activities are. And so I think by and large and within reason, it is safe. Uh, to be able to access things like outdoor sports and, and leagues and programs. And so we wanted to kind of ride this wave a little bit uh, and put a couple of dots together here, connect a couple dots. And so we stood up this initiative, uh, which we are seeding with about a million and a half dollars um, initially. And uh, it's going to be administered through the Recreation Department and the Collaboration Council for Children, Youth, and Families. Um, there are going to be sub- contracts, funds uh, through a request for proposal process that will go out to those leagues and to those partners that already do have a presence within these communities that are providing some level of programming, but to help them take that program to scale. And where there aren't leagues and where there aren't programs, um, the recreation department's gonna take an initial lead um, in establishing those programs and services. And it's important to note too that we're not just going to ask the soccerplex or parks or the communities or public facilities to just out of the goodness of your heart absorb some of these leagues and games. You have costs too. You have overhead um, that that you have to make sure you're made whole. And so the vision is is that um, this funding will help ensure that through a partnership um, we can make you whole. Uh, that we 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 pay for the fees. Um, that, in my opinion, are extraordinarily reasonable, uh, given the quality of fields that we provide uh, and the quality of play that we provide. Um, and so it's, it's going to go towards hiring coaches. It's going to go towards underwriting the cost of accessing fields and places of play. And it's going to go towards um, helping to um, subsidize families to be able to play. Uh we're kind of looking at this here because with some of the same problems that you guys are seeing, we see within our own programming, obviously transportation is a huge issue. Um, and the coaching, you know, volunteer coaching is also huge. We struggle every year to find volunteer coaching. Do you think one of the good things that's coming out of this pandemic is kind of a reset button on sports where we might see more of this, uh, you know, recreational level coaching um, and participation that it, this may actually help us be able to say, Hey, we went too far you know, let's reset and come back. Um, do you think this is an opportunity to do that? It absolutely is. Um, and I think the silver lining here, you know, for, 
Um, I know that it has really hurt our teams and our places of play and the soccerplex, but for the first few months, I will say that there was, um, you know, we, we were home for dinner every night as a family. Uh, we weren't traveling to two or three different games on the same weekend. Um, and so it did, I think, in a, in a positive way, bring up what's important in families. Uh, and, and, you know, we, my son actually has transitioned to recreation soccer um, in part because he just was having more fun. Um, and he kept telling me that dad, it, you know, soccer started to feel like school. Uh, and so, um, it was sort of a reset button for us. Now, I think he's going to go back uh, a year from now as, you know, we start, you know, start emerging from this, but, but it also made us realize just as a family, you know, what's important right now, just having fun. Um, and so I do think that, there will be more recreational leagues and that will pop up or rec recreational components of club teams um, that I think are going to pop up too. And I think that, you know, we're not going to be traveling um, in the way that we were before anytime soon. Uh, and so, but there's so much talent and there's so much interest here regionally and locally that, you know, we, we would love to go back to those days where teams from, all across the country, the mid-Atlantic region, we're coming to the county. Um, but in the short term, let's do a full court press to better address the needs of our residents right here um, and to bring people in who may not have participated before. And as I said, it's made, been made clear to me that sports is not a super spreader. It, it is actually a safe activity for youth to be able to participate in that is gonna help them in so many different ways now and moving forward. So let's ride that wave too and get more kids engaged um, and get more kids to participate. Um, I've, I've spoken to uh, Doug Schusser at MSI and at least initially, you know, the numbers went way down uh, in terms of overall registration and participation. But what he has seen is the numbers have started to tick significantly up again. And they're getting calls uh, from people who had not played before, who had not expressed interest before um, in, in ways that are really profound. Same is true of baseball, by the way. Um, baseball has also significantly increased its interest. I think some of that has to do with the Nationals. Um, <laughs> but I also think that it's because, you know, you can really socially distance when you're playing baseball in ways that you may not be able to for other sports. Uh, and so some families are kind of looking at different options out there um, and, and sort of accessing them. So I, I think long-term, Matt, this is going to be a good thing, uh, and this is going to lead to, to more volunteers and, and more support. Um, and, and I think we, through this investment, we want to make sure that that actually, in fact, happens. Talking about the investment, obviously, this is seeded from CARES Act money, which has a, you know, a, a timetable on it. It's got to be spent by December. You know, what is the county looking you know, out year. So next year and, you know, five years down the road, is this a continuation of spending on this or is this, let's get this started see where it goes and then figure it out. Is there a plan for funding beyond it, this year? It's a little bit of both. Um, I think that there is a strong commitment from my colleagues and I'll say the County executive as well on, on this. Um, and so I think that we will um, make this a priority in the next operating budget um, through the recreation department. And, and, and I hate, in a way, this is sort of a silver lining, but there have been savings within the recreation department because they're not able to carry out all of their operational programs within facilities the way they were before. Um, and so 
there are some resources that we can reallocate without having to add additional funds um, to programs like this. Um, and so that's good news. And then I do think that, you know, we've got a mess at the federal level to say the least, but um, I am confident that there is gonna be another round of federal stimulus. Um, the, the, the amount will depend on who wins in November, um, but I do think that we are going to, to receive another round of federal stimulus um, that will be able to be carried over into the following year. So there will be some additional federal help. And as I said, this is a priority for us. So we're gonna continue this. Um, but if we can't use outside funding, the other area that I've been really impressed by is private philanthropy. Um, we've got a lot of foundations and corporate businesses, some of which are actually thriving through the pandemic that normally invest their treasure in community-based organizations outside of Montgomery County, but I think people are waking up and recognizing the need that exists right here. Um, and so we're starting to see some of that investment stay in the county, um, and that's gonna help us uh, with funding as well. I was gonna ask, I know you, you did the talk at the Aspen Institute Summit, and their project play kind of fits in this wheelhouse. Have you engaged with them at all about getting them involved uh, from the project play standpoint? We have. So I, I, um, I had a number of people reach out to me nationally after that, um, after that session, uh, which was really cool uh, to, to find more about what we were doing here in the county, um, but also some national foundations that are interested in investing in this program, in this pilot. Um, so that will, will put us in a better position to receive funding. And the Aspen Institute um, is going to track closely what we're doing uh, and they're going to provide a little bit of research muscle uh, moving forward to what we've done as well. So uh, we're going to follow up with them. And, and it was funny because the gentleman that works for the Aspen Institute that moderated that panel, we were talking as the panel was starting. Turns out he went to Watkins Mill. Mm -hmm. He was on the soccer team there. And we literally played against each other um, my sophomore year. And you know, we were naming names of people <laughs> that we played against in club teams and it was hilarious. Uh, Sports so is a small world. <laughs> it is. It's a small world, man. It was really funny. So uh, me and you have also discussed uh, setting up a county sports council, um, you know, mm -hmm. getting all the groups that typically don't play well in the sandbox together because, you know, we're competing for fields and space and players and things like that. You know, how do we go about doing that? How do we how do we create that and make it meaningful? Because uh, and I've been candid with you. I've seen it other places where it's been disaster. It actually made everything worse. Yeah. Um, how do we approach that and make that successful? So here's a little bit of background. Um, one of the things Montgomery County is definitely not short of is advocates within different, you know, groups, associations. Uh, Guilty as charged. Some, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some do it better than others. But when you look on a percentage basis of the number of county residents that participate in sports, it blows everything else out of the water. Um, and yet we have this really impressive infrastructure, and I'll give you one example, within our arts and humanities. Uh, and there's something called the Arts and Humanities Council, which as the former director of the Recreation Department, I was a member of and, and helped work with on a variety of different issues. And I was always super impressed with the way that the arts community would come together to advocate for arts in general. And, you know, you had competition within the arts community. You had the larger venues and the smaller venues. You had your live music venues, and then you had your theater venues. 
but they would come together through the Arts and Humanities Council to advocate on behalf of those organizations for capital dollars, for operating dollars, on policy issues. And because of that advocacy, they would often have a seat at the table as important legislative decisions were being made, as the budget was being planned. And I would always get so frustrated that, you know, even within the Park and Planning Commission, which on an annual basis opens up testimony to different sports associations and organizations to advocate for more synthetic turf fields, to advocate for more fields and more field maintenance, to advocate for more gyms, you could count on one hand how many people would come and testify each year. And, and they would do it, the few people that would do it, were doing it exclusively from the perspective of their sports association. Um, and the county has tried in the past, and my good friend Robin Riley, who's now the director of the recreation department, um, has a lot of background information on this, um, had tried to stand up some group, some entity that could bring our sports community together to advocate on its own behalf. And it fizzled out in a couple of different instances because to your point, Matt, by nature, our sports associations are very competitive uh, and everyone feels that their program or service or sport is the most important. And so they're gonna, they're gonna fight like heck uh, for that particular sport. Um, but when, when we start pitting us, ourselves against each other, we all lose. Uh, and, and it just doesn't work. And so what I want to do, um, and I started this by um, helping to launch the Montgomery County Sports Hall of Fame, we need to create more time and space for our sports community co to come together. Um, and so the Montgomery County Sports Hall of Fame was set up to be one of those entities. And so one of the first things that I want this sports commission to do is to for example, during each fall, spring, winter, and summer season, um, be the entity that formally acknowledges the state and national champions that are coming from Montgomery County. So again, a convener, a time and space on a very positive way to celebrate sports and sports achievement here in Montgomery County. The second thing that I want this sports commission to do is to identify and leverage those foundations I mentioned earlier, those business partners that I mentioned earlier, to be more engaged and create a fund that can help raise all boats in helping to access sports participation here in Montgomery County. Common denominator, everyone agrees we need to do more of that. But the third thing I want this group to do, because as a formal commission to Montgomery County government, we have 73 of them, you formally as part of the budget planning process have the opportunity to meet with the county council and the county executive on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis. And so an agenda can be created that may be very broad, but, and that includes and, and tries to raise all boats, but by virtue of that time and space, I think will really help us um, in being present as decisions are being made. And then finally, what I think the sports commission can do is harness this incredible energy and advocacy we have within different sports associations, but do it for the collective good. Um, and, and there's a lot of folks that are out there that wanna do that. So um, we're, we're working on this now. I'm planning on introducing legislation uh, during the winter session um, in which we're gonna build this. Um, I wanna be thoughtful about it. 
you're one of those thought leaders, Matt, that I'm going to be reaching out to uh, to figure out how to do this right and, and how to do this well uh, from the beginning. And I think that there should be a seat at that table for either you or other representatives from the Soccerplex uh, and some of your partners and stakeholders, because you are a convener uh, and, and you, from an economic development standpoint and an infrastructure standpoint, are one of the treasures we have here in the county. Uh, and so we need to, to, to we need that knowledge uh, and we need you at that table. I would say definitely try and push this as soon as you can, because what we've learned out of the pandemic and, and I'm, I think I spoke to you about this, is from the soccer side, we came up with this DMV United kind of cooperative. And being from the soccer world, you understand soccer clubs hate each other. Like, they're always competing on, off the field. Somehow we managed to get 90 clubs together in the DMV area and all agreed that we're going to work together to get through the pandemic. And we had information sharing. We had coaches from one club doing training sessions for coaches in another club that didn't have the, the means to do it online. And they were sharing online training videos. And it was a level of cooperation I've never seen before. And wow. it only would have happened in the pandemic. So it is another one of those silver linings that, like, this wouldn't happen. And, you know, we just met last week about how we keep that going and shift from a pandemic focus to, you know, a development focus and talked about advocacy. And uh, we talked about developing a scholarship program so the kid can choose any club that's in a, in the membership to use the money to go play for them. And it's not specific Amazing. to a club. So I would say now is the time to harness that kind of energy that of cooperation that everyone says we need to get through this. Because we, we said the same thing, like losing one club actually doesn't help any of us. You know, yeah. it, it's in the long run, having opportunities for kids to find the space that is best for them, keeps people in the game and keeps, you know, competition alive and things like that, that we were like, we got to figure out how to make this work. And, you know, there was, it was three of us in the beginning. Um, it was us, it was Bethesda, it was uh, Alexandria, kind of got together and said, okay, we're all having the same conversation with 10 different people. Let's just get all 30 of us on the phone. Um, and then it slowly grew. And uh, we were just shocked how, how far that went. And, you know, we were meeting weekly at one point. Um, and we were having 60 people on a call. It, it was unbelievable. So, you know, if we're going to do, if we're going to get that going, I'd say now's the time. And, you know, any way we can support you in doing that, more than happy to help. That's amazing. That's so cool to hear, Matt. I'm really happy about that. So, Anything else on your legislative agenda you want to kind of bring up and talk about, even if it's not sports related? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, we, I have, this is sports related, but I have sort of a long-term goal here in Montgomery County. Um, we don't have a sports arena. Uh, we have nothing like the Patriot Center uh, that is located in Virginia and Fairfax. And, you know, our kids have to go and travel to DC and Prince George's County uh, to do their high school graduations, um, just as a, as a specific example. Um, but I think we need and would really benefit from having a facility like that here in Montgomery County. And we've tried. Uh, there have been different efforts in the past. We actually got pretty far down the road in conversations with the Wizards a couple of years ago when they were looking at developing a training facility that looked a lot like uh, the Capitals training facility. And they ended up uh, building it in Ward 8, uh, which is where the Mystics are now located. But we haven't given up. Uh, I think that it, it would, would be extraordinarily beneficial for us to have such a facility here in Montgomery County. Um, and so that's something long-term uh, I wanna work on and chip away at. Um, and there's a lot of interest. We just need 
you know, the, the constellation to be aligned to be able to really make that uh, happen and get off the ground. Um, and then I think the, the other just general area that I'm going to be focusing on as the chair of the Health and Human Services Committee is just general health and wellness and making sure that those indicators that led to the disparities in health prior to the pandemic are addressed, maybe not once and for all, but more significantly than they have been before. Things like telemedicine and telehealth things like connecting our uh, minority medical practices to be able to work more collaboratively together and outreach to different communities. I feel like we're on the cusp of something really great here in the county and as painful and as an emotional as the last nine months have been, I really honestly believe, Matt, that we're gonna come out of this stronger in a variety of ways. Um, and this has forced us to look in the mirror in ways that we didn't either have time or didn't want to look at before. And I think that this is gonna to lead to true change. Well, I can't say thank you enough for doing this. Uh, like I said, you're the first guest we're doing. Um, so what did, how do we do? You guys were amazing. <laughs> uh, and the next time I'll have to come out to the Soccerplex so uh, we can see each other in person. Um, but this is an important podcast. I think this will create a, an important space and time for different community leaders to, to be able to have a voice and talk about these issues in a very real way. Uh, we need more of this. You can be the new Kojo Nandi of the sports world, Matt. And we also need to schedule the legislative soccer game too. So Yeah, I'm in. So. I'm in. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for coming and uh, it was great having you and talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. Bye. Kim, I need some advice. Yeah, what's up? I haven't been feeling great lately. I'm getting old. My body's falling apart. I think I need to go see a doctor, but I don't know who to go see, where to go, what to do. It's just all confusing and overwhelming. Well, you should really check out some of the options from Adventist Healthcare. Depending on what is wrong, you could go to their primary care doctor, specialty care, or urgent care if you need to go right away. Adventist Healthcare is known for its top quality care, and they probably have a location near you. I'm not sure I really want to go to a doctor's office in the middle of a pandemic. Well, Adventist Healthcare also has a telehealth option, so you can speak with a doctor from the safety of your own home. Just go to AdventistHealthcare.com to find a doctor or location near you, as well as to get information on telehealth. Thanks, Kim. That actually sounds like a really good idea. I think I'll go check it out. Trust Adventist Healthcare to help when you need it. Now more than ever, they are here for you. Remember to stay healthy by wearing your mask, maintaining social distance, washing your hands, and cough and sneeze into your elbow, not your hands. Visit AdventistHealthcare.com to start your journey to health and wellness now. Take a time out for Your Health Goals, brought to you by Adventist Healthcare the premier health system serving your community's needs across the continuum of care. Hi, I'm Dr. Trey Godwin, a board certified physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation and sports medicine with Adventist Healthcare Rehabilitation. The outbreak of COVID-19 suspended play for Maryland youth, academic and professional sports programs. Currently, we're seeing a gradual reemergence of some of those sports programs, including the announcement of new schedules and upcoming tryouts. As the situation with the pandemic evolves, it will continue to be important to follow the recommendations of health officials for guidance on what is allowed in terms of sports activities. When the time does come for full return to sports, we want you to be ready. 
Without sports programs, you may not have had much of your typical structured training and conditioning. Gyms were closed, training facilities were closed, and practices were canceled. Suddenly, access to resources for training were gone. Return to sports can be a transition in overall activity and a transition in the intensity of your training. If an athlete does not maintain that same discipline or motivation to train and work out on their own, there can be negative impact on the body as well as the athlete's mental psyche. There can be changes in weight, changes in body composition, and increased stress and anxiety. It's important to manage expectations for the time it will take to return to your prior levels. For a successful return to sports, you need to allow that time for adaptation if you have not been exercising at your regular performance level. This means building up to a certain point and then maintaining that level of training for several weeks to give your body time to adjust. You will need to plan ahead to allow time for that recovery. You should not expect to go straight back to your prior level of training if you have taken time off. You can even consider adding a specific recovery week, which is a time where you train less to give your body time to recuperate. Pay attention to your body for signs of stress and adjust your activity level accordingly. Give thought to what your activity level has been while you've been at home during the pandemic. If your running is part of your training, it's not just about the number of miles, but other factors must be considered, such as intensity of the exercise and prior injury history. Consider performing your maintenance rehabilitation exercises for any prior injuries. So establish good exercise habits and stick with them as you train. Make a training schedule and do not be afraid to adapt it as you need. Create attainable goals. Also, do remember to consider your sleep schedule and nutrition. It's important to get enough rest and eat a nutritious diet as part of a well-balanced exercise regimen. And finally, make sure you're preparing your body for exercise to limit your risk of injury. Incorporate a dynamic warm-up to get your body prepared for activity so you can perform your best and avoid injuries. If you're looking for guidance in creating an exercise program, or if you're looking to improve your overall athletic performance, here with Adventist Healthcare, we do have an athlete accelerator program for all types of athletes, including injured athletes. The athletic trainers will assess where you are currently with your fitness, they'll create a training plan with you, and they'll work with you one-on-one -on -one to reach your specific goals. If you feel that this may be helpful for you, you can read more at the Athlete Accelerator Program website at adventusrehab.com AAP for more information. In the case that you do get injured, there are options for getting you back to playing sports again as soon as possible. They include being seen by an outpatient sports medicine physician like myself, as well as treatment and physical therapy if you need it. Adventist Healthcare Physical Therapy is offered at all seven of our rehab locations. For more information and scheduling, you can go to AdventistRehab.com. And thank you for listening to Your Health Goals with Adventist Healthcare. So, Kim, that was an interesting call. That was uh, that was really informative, to be honest. I wasn't. I, I mean, I had high hopes, but that was actually went really well. Um, and I think he hit the nail on the head there, sort of in the middle, where he was talking about the 
beneficial um, or the benefits that sports can have, especially in this time, given that kids are not in the classroom and that they're not in school. I think the fact that parents are looking for alternative um, sort of avenues to have the social interaction and the you know the health and wellness the correct. exercise all of it yeah to have you know an, an alternative option for that because they're not in the classroom they're not at school getting that i think that youth sports and um activities outside of school are i think are becoming increasingly important um especially in this time yeah i also think it's having the background he does i think he's coming at it in a realistic approach i mean he i think he understands we're never going to get every kid we're not going to get every parent to, to understand what we're trying to do um and it's i asked the question specifically because i was worried about the funding because obviously using cares money it ends in december um so the fact that they already are looking at how they're going to fund this moving forward yeah. uh, makes me much more optimistic that they'll they'll get to the goals they're looking for and I, I think uh, he also, from his rec background, I think he fully understands the barriers that people have in youth sport, um, and he me- he mentioned them all. Um, yeah, it's all the same stuff that we see every time, correct. every year. And so the fact that he is so familiar with all of the same challenges that we see every day um, and is willing to add that voice to the council uh, for us specifically in Montgomery County, I think is, is hugely important, and that was a pretty informative call for sure. Yeah, I, I'm – excited and you know pessimistic a little about the sports council and you know i think it's just the experience i've had in 20 years of doing this that i've had to deal with these sports councils in other jurisdictions and other states and sometimes it's just infighting and and battles between baseball and football and soccer and lacrosse and And there are different issues that each sport sort of encounters that i think that you know maybe other sports don't understand where the other group is coming from um, or they don't want to understand yeah it gets selfish and uh, a lot of it comes down to who you put on these commissions um, it has to be the right people they have to have the right mindset um, you know I, one of the clubs I formerly you know did work for in my past job like they're in their own club the lacrosse and soccer and baseball programs didn't even get along so trying to ask you know different organizations to get along is, is a, it's a tough sell I, I think um, but I hope it works I, I mean I want it to work Absolutely. And I think the issue or the idea that he brought up of, you know, having a communal place that's positive like the, you know, the Sports Hall of Fame in Montgomery County or having, you know, other avenues where you bring people together in a positive way so that hopefully that encourages them to work together uh, in other avenues, I think is, is was a great idea. And I think that that's I hope that that, you know, continues and moves forward. Yeah, if it wasn't for what we saw from the DFB United stuff, I probably would have just took what he was talking about and moved on because I didn't think it would be possible. But I think people's attitudes have changed, and the pandemic is the reason for it. So just hopefully we don't go back to where we were when this is over. Absolutely, yeah, that is the goal. I, I, obviously, tough times bring people together, and so that it's really great that the DMV United uh, came out of such a rough time for everyone in this industry. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that it continues beyond the pandemic and that we don't forget, uh, where we came from. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, overall, I think it was a good interview. I'm glad he, he came on. I'm sure we'll talk to him again at some point. So any, yeah, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I think that went really well. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for uh, listening to pitch side from the Plex.
Thank you for listening to the Pitch Side from the Plex podcast. Head to mdsoccerplex.org to check out other episodes. Follow us at mdsoccerplex on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again soon. Pitch Side from the Plex is produced by Matt Liver and Alexis Andrew Cat Price with support from Kim Walter and Gary Bird.